Hello friends, welcome to the podcast. This is the Coffee and Books and Movies podcast. I'm your host Scott. Welcome. Today we have a wonderful new book that is completely read for you. I am going to bring more content to you every week that I can. We are excited today. We are talking about another historical book that I just finished. This one is called The Templars, The History and the Myth by Michael Hagg. Michael Hagg is a best-selling author known for his books about Freemasons, like From Solomon's Temple to the Freemasons, A Guide to Temple History, Culture, and Locations. This book is filled with facts and details and everything you would ever want to know about the Templars. However, I'm going to tell you it's drawback soon. But before we get started, I want to make sure a couple things you guys know about this podcast. One, if you're new here, you need to share it with your friends. Everybody could use this podcast to learn about history or whatever it is that you're reading, uh, or that I'm reading, rather. But I want to know if you think there's something I should read. So please tell me. I'm going to ask the question again when I'm done with this podcast, what you guys would like me to read next. But uh, this one was really good, Uh, and this is why. Because this book covers some basic things, like who the Templars were, what was the secret of their wealth and power, why did the Pope and the King of France act to destroy them, Why are there so many conspiracy theories revolving around Templars? Why were uh, best-selling authors like Steve Barry and Dan Brown from the Da Vinci Code fame writing about the Templars? And most importantly, what does that mean about today? Why are we talking about them still thousands and thousands of years later? Okay, so this is the first history of the legendary knights since the Vatican momentously released all of the records of their trial and exoneration. All right, so we got to talk about what that means first. Basically, in the mid-2000s, this book came about 2009 is when it was published. There was a huge scandal, apparently, in the Vatican where amazing discovery was found. The trials of actual Templars were revealed to be hiding within the Vatican archives. A person translated this painstakingly and published it so that people could understand it in, you know, today's terms in the real world. And it was amazing because it was filled with content. It was found, uh, it found a lot of the Templars, you know, were not guilty. But, you know, there was a reason why the Pope and the King of France had put pressure on them. But before we get into all that, we got to ask ourselves, what in the world is a Templar? Have I seen them before? The answer is you have. They're in movies, they're in video games, they're everywhere in the culture. And I didn't know about it until I was reading this book because this book talks about it. The final chapter of this book is talking about how in all modern-day equivalents, you know, in pop culture, the Templars made a huge comeback. Uh, you know, this is brought to you by, like I said, the Da Vinci Code had stuff about this. Uh, you know, it was in movies like Kingdom of Heaven had portrayed the Templars. Uh, you had Assassin's Creed making the Templars the adversary, which was pretty cool. Uh, assassins are also a big part of the history as well in real life. Um, and then you also have other groups of people that made it famous over the years. I mean, there were multiple books published, uh, the most famous ones being published in the last century, but, you know, there were books in the 1800s and there were movies and it's just a huge thing. Like people like learning about it because it's mysterious. Indiana Jones, you know, they talked about not only the Lost Ark, but the first movie talked about that. But then the third movie, The Last Crusade, also had people talking about it. So in order to talk about the Templars, we got to talk about what we know about them and what we don't know about them. And the Templars, there's a lot, so bear with me here. 
The Templars were basically a group of people from Europe who came over and fought against the Muslim occupation of the Holy Land, a.k.a. Jerusalem. Now, this was at a time when, you know, it was very much people did not have great contact with one another in the world, and they were not familiar with one another in the world. And the Muslims were the new kids on the block, basically, about this time. Although they had been around for a couple hundred years or so before the Crusades started, the Muslims were basically, you know, making it not necessarily easy for Christian pilgrims to go over into their territory, where basically holy places like Jerusalem were. You see, Jerusalem is the holiest place for a bunch of different religions. It's not just Judaism, it's not just Christianity, and it's not just, you know, Islam. But those are the three focal points. People who are religious go there. It is a pilgrimage that happens for people who are religious. It just so happens that the, I believe it's the third holiest site in Islam, the Dome of the Rock, is there. You have the uh, Wailing Wall or the Western Wall for Judaism, which is the remains of the Solomon's Temple, which we'll soon talk about. And then you have, of course, in Christianity, you have uh, the sites like where Jesus was supposedly buried, which was, I believe, the church or of the Jerusalem temple of the, I'm going to say it wrong, um, like it was a special holy temple where basically Jesus's burial ground is. Um, that's what people believed. Anyway, uh, so Christians, Jews, Muslims, they all go pilgrimage in those country or in that country, in Israel today. Uh, but back then, it was very hard for people to travel. Uh, it was dangerous. There were bandits. There's robbery. There's the different currencies of traveling. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to travel all the way from like England or Scotland all the way down. So you had to cross, you know, by ocean, by river, whatever, through, you know, different parts of Europe just to get to the Holy Land only to be robbed or denied or treated differently because you weren't the same religion as somebody else there. And so eventually what happened was is that the uh, different groups of people got together, but basically what it came down to is an order was founded, the Templars, and the Templars' job was to protect people who were traveling, pilgrims. They would go to this place, and their initial job was to defend the pilgrims. But the initial crusade, the very first crusade, the idea was is that essentially, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying essentially a lot. Sorry, guys. Look. This is what you need to know. The Christians all got together. A bunch of them swore vows, pledged donations of money and power, and created this order, the Templars, to protect you know, not only people traveling like Christians, but they basically conquered the Holy Land from Muslims. They basically declared war, and then that was our version of what you would probably hear of as a jihad. Um, we, we called it a crusade, the Muslims call it a jihad, it's the same thing. They fought over this territory, these cities, these lands in the Middle East. Uh, for a short time, the group of people known as the Franks, or basically just Europeans in general, created a, a kingdom called the Outremer, which was the kingdom states of the Crusades. It had the kingdom of Antioch, the kingdom of Jerusalem, it had different places. It was in modern-day Syria, uh, modern-day Egypt, modern-day Israel, uh, it was in that part of the world. And uh, the idea was that the Crusaders were sort of the standing army to protect this people from, you know, people who were trying to harm the Christians. Um, and so basically there were multiple, multiple, multiple Crusades. Like, I believe there's six of them at least that I can recall and remember. But the idea was is that people were fighting over this land. And the Templars 
were a secretive order who was responsible for it. But their downfall came from the fact that they were so secretive, as we'll soon find out. Okay, so that's the kind of the basics of the Templars. They're knights that protect people. What do they look like? Well, they basically wear white clothing over their armor with a red cross. You might see it, very famous. Um, they took very their vows very seriously. Um, they did not have relations with women. Um, they often fasted all day and listened to prayer, and uh, they basically had a very, very busy day of, you know, doing work like you would think of as like a monk. Um, you know, somebody who's a monk would be doing the same type of work, but the difference is, is that they were warrior monks. They trained in the arts of basically warfare, and they did this to protect, the, like I said, other people. Um, so the idea was is that they were honorable. They had their part in creating one of the world's largest financial systems. Banking became international because of these guys. It became a lot easier to go to a bank because the Crusaders created, wherever they went, their order, they created a place to make deposits and withdrawals. So basically it was like the first place where you could do that, and that was run by the Templars. The Templars also had interests in all of the kingdoms. So uh, you might know in Western Europe, uh, places like Portugal and Spain were also heavily invaded by the Moors, which are also people from, you know, Muslim countries who were invading and they fought their own wars against them. But the Templars provided support and often protected those countries. So the Templars were often gifted lands and castles and fortresses of their own doing, and they had an order for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, so why did the king of France decide that they're, you know, bad? Well, a couple reasons. One, uh, the king of France was trying to basically pull one over on the Templars. He needed their resources, their unbelievable wealth. You see, the Templars are basically, like I said, famous for finding historical artifacts that we all know today, um, you know, like that they supposedly had. And I say supposedly because there's been no proof that these had ever either existed or they have been proven, you know, not to be the same thing that we think they are. But things like the, the Shroud of Turin, which was a cloth that was supposedly over Jesus' face, that has his imprint of his face on the cloth. Uh, you know, the Holy Grail, which was like a chalice or cup that they, you know, they drank, uh, you know, that supposedly Jesus drank out of during the Last Supper. Um, you know, different historical objects and artifacts. You know, they knew the location of where Solomon's temple was built, you know, which was underneath the Wailing Wall. We're, we're still finding caverns and places underneath there, so there's still the possibility things will go undiscovered. But long story short, uh, the king of France needed the wealth that the Templars had had. You know, they were, they were considered one of the richest people or groups of people in the entire medieval world, the king of France needed money. So what did he do? He took and confiscated the lands based on the fact that he called them heretics. And he called them heretics because they were a secretive order. You see, since the Templars didn't share what they did with other people, uh, what happened was is that rumors began to spread that they were, you know, doing things that were satanic. You know, they were spitting on the cross, you know, or on Jesus. This did turn out to be somewhat true, as it was part of their training exercises in case they were captured by the enemy, and they were forced to do this. They had to practice what it would be like if they were tortured. And oftentimes, they were tortured, because they were prisoners of war, and they had to be prepared for that case, as we'll soon find out. But 
the idea is that rumors began to circulate that they worshipped Satan and that they were satanic and that they were behind all of the world's problems and that they were the mastermind and they're working with other groups of people that have control over the world. And, you know, there was this whole rumors and stuff that what happened, what they did, you know, that they're still around and that they have different associations with them, that they're just known by different names today. But we, we know that there's no actual solid evidence now of a link between the Templars and other groups like the Freemasons, or, you know, we know that there's no link between them and, like, other groups of people like the Hospitallers, you know, Knights of Hospitallers. Uh, there's so many other groups that were existed during the medieval time. It's impossible, really, to tell, you know, if they had any connection with other groups, and if they did, maybe they did interact with them, but... What we know for a fact is that the Templars were an organization that was around for about 200 years, and then they were abolished by the King of, King of France and the Pope. Now, the King of, uh, or sorry, the Pope basically eventually changed his mind and basically did pardon some of these people. Um, now, like I said, France was not so merciful towards the Templars, but most of the rest of Europe was. So thankfully, if the Templars were living in places like Portugal, Spain, England, Scotland, Germany, most of these guys, they made it out okay. You know, they were pardoned for their quote-unquote crimes, and then, you know, they moved on with their life. They might have been asked to leave town, but they weren't really tortured or killed. But in France, that was not the case. The king had a very vicious streak, and he basically said, I'm going to kill all of them, including the grandmaster, which he did. He basically burned the grandmaster at the stake, very famous person. Uh, James Molay, I believe, is his name. And, uh, you know, he, you know, cursed them both and, you know, he, he took his punishment. And what happened after all of this is that a year later, or less than a year actually, the Pope and the King of France died. So they got what was coming to them. You know, the King of France, he fell off a horse. The Pope, he was ailing and old anyway. He just died. So it worked out, right? Well, that's the thing. Nobody really knows what happened to the Templar's treasure. That's probably one of the mysteries, um, it was probably moved around a lot and probably ended up in other places. Uh, you know, we know that places like Malta and Italy had the treasure. We know places in London had it. We know that the treasure sort of moved around a lot. And if you believe movies and other, you know, science fiction or other fiction stories, I didn't mean to say science fiction, I just meant historical fiction, sorry. Uh, if we know that they talk about historical fiction, we know movies like um, National Treasure claimed that, you know, this Templar link linked to the Freemasons and that they wrote where the treasure was on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So that's another one for you that references Templars. Um, you know, I think that this book was very informative, and now we're going to talk about the kind of the logistics of it. It's pretty short. It's about 360-something pages long um, on average. I don't remember the exact number. It's pretty, it's pretty knowledgeable about statistics and facts. Like, they talk about what they believe was the dimensions of Solomon's temple. The thing is, is I don't think that's the most interesting part of Templar lore. As much as I want to say, oh, I'd love to know more about Solomon's temple, I don't want to know, like, how big the rooms were. I want to know, like, what they think was there. And, you know, where they think the whole, holy of the holies, you know, were. You know, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You know, that's the type of thing I want to know when I'm reading this book. Not like, oh, yeah, we measured it, and this is what we think it is. But there's a lot of new numbers thrown around in this book. 
Um, this author does a very good job of explaining, you know, he was trying to be as accurate as possible, but a lot of the sources that we know of today came from other medieval writers, and they kind of spun it any way they wanted it. So a lot of the reason why people believe in conspiracy theories around these guys is because the Templars, nobody's really sure of what's real anymore. You know, when you talk about people who know about this these this group of people they're usually talking about what we don't know which is a lot we don't know who, how many members they had we don't know like all of their meanings and symbols and where the treasure went all this other grand stuff about it so people tend to think of them as like a shadow organization even though we don't really have any kind of proof of that so anyway um yeah so i gave it a four out of five because i enjoyed it because it's history and you know i'm gonna like it uh, it's not perfect, but it's a great first step if you want to know anything about the Templars' history, which I definitely want to know more after reading this. I mean, I've read about the Crusades before, but this puts it, I think, into a perspective that most people can understand. It does a good job for what it is. It's a quick book. It talks about the mythology behind it, and I definitely think you'd like it. Now, the next question about reading books. Okay. So I have two books in front of me. I have Star Wars, the High Republic series, with book number two, The Rising Storm. And I also have uh, a book called Stalingrad, The Fateful Siege, 1942-1943, by Anthony Bevor. Um, I'd like to know what you guys think I should read next. I'm going to put that question out there. Um, and that's all for today's episode. I want to thank you again. Um, and if you're listening right now, I really, really appreciate it. Tell me how I did as well. Um, thank you for your feedback. Thank you for listening and being awesome. Have a great rest of your day.